Oh, that was really lame. Nobody's glad to see me. I'm going to leave again. Good morning. Call <laughs> oh, Jerry. Some people. <laughs> hey, I'm so glad to be back um, to worship the Lord and um, to be with His people and to study His Word. We had a wonderful time. Thank you for your guys' prayers and um, thank you for everybody who worked hard and filled in uh, while I was gone. I know that you guys were blessed uh, by the teaching. I had a chance to listen to um, the word that was brought while I was gone and uh, it was wonderful. So thank you guys. I see a lot of fans. Are you hot overall? No? Okay. Yes. All right. You want to turn it down one degree. We'll give you one degree on each side. It's some reason this, that threshold between 72 and, and 73, it's like 72 is freezing and 73 is... Um, a couple announcements. Um, at the end of the month, we have a, a, a guest worship leader coming in from Calvary Chapel Aurora. Um, I think it's where she's going to church now. Yeah, her, her, her new name is Lindsay Tucker. Um, many of you may know her as Lindsay Morton. Uh, years ago, before she got married, she's married now and she has a, as a child. Years ago, she traveled um, all over the world uh, doing worship and music for Calvary Chapels. And we had the blessing opportunity one time to either have her come and do a women's retreat for us. And um, she's back in the saddle, so to speak, again, doing ministry and worship. And um, she's coming here at the end of the month, last Sunday of the month. We're going to do church outside, and she's going to lead us in worship. So uh, invite somebody to come and listen to her and to worship together. And, um, and of course, we'll be studying through God's Word, um, as always. And then, next Sunday, we are also going to be outside. So the next two Sundays, we're going to be outside in the amphitheater. And um, we're in the process of, of uh, stringing a, um, a sunshade system outside to give us more shade out there than just the tree. So you guys will all be able to spread out a little bit. And um, so I would encourage you to, to come to that and um, be a part. I think the Sunday, um, not next Sunday, but I think the Sunday following, we'll probably do like hamburgers and hot dogs again. So we'll let you know for sure. But just like we did before, chips and hamburgers and hot dogs, and you guys can stick around and we can all eat and fellowship together. So bring your chairs or your blankets and please invite your friends and, and, and neighbors and friends. I was meeting with somebody, who was it that... Uh, Oh, it was, it was with a, a hospice appointment, and um, there's somebody who said that they'd driven by. They don't go to our church. They, they actually go to the Catholic church, and, um, but they had driven by and seen that we had had that amphitheater outside and, and thought it would be cool, and they actually said, next time we do church out there, let them know they'd love to come. So maybe there's other people in the neighborhood who, or in the community who's driven by and seen that and are just looking for an, an invite from y'all to, to say, hey, we got this cool place outside. We're going to do church together. Come join us and, 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 and invite them um, to do so. There's a few things in the announcements. Um, Justin, who leads worship, is asking that if there's anybody who's qualified or wanting to become trained in knowing how to work and run not only the slides that you see on Sunday morning, but also some of the sound equipment, if you're wishing to help out with that, we are in need of, 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 of helpers. So um, talk to Justin. Also... Uh, I don't know, Martin's probably in the back with the kids, so I don't know for sure. I'm assuming there's a sign-up sheet for this, as there usually is on the information counter, 
um, as you go back to the kids' room. But the On High, our outdoor ministry, um, where we do activities together, they have a a hike coming up. You can read the details there if you wish to be a part of that. Um, The Royal Gorge Preschool, uh, which is really an outreach ministry to our community, as probably 95% of the kids that go to that preschool are kids that aren't involved in our church. And so that's a pretty cool thing And because the preschool really works to um, get the families plugged into different events, not just what we're doing here, but they, they do more than just things in, in regards to the four hours that the kids are here in the preschool with the parents. So um, they're having a boot camp. And if you know any kiddos that are preschool age that'd like to come for like a boot camp, it's kind of like a vacation Bible school kind of thing. Um, there's the sign up for that and the information. And then our youth and um, anybody who wants to come to be a part of it is there's a faith day at um, uh, Colorado Rockies. And with that, you get your concert ticket to see David Crowder. Woohoo! Yeah, he's a pretty good musician and, and uh, awesome worship music. He's written some really cool, um, inspired music. And then, um, so you get to listen to David Crowder and also see a Rockies game. So the dates are there uh, and the ticket costs. And I think there's some few people already signed up for that. So um, if you wish to still be a part of that, there's time to sign up. Um, then our youth missions trip is coming up. And um, that's kind of a co-event. We're asking for um, parents who have youth in junior high or high school that would want to come be a part of it. You're more than welcome to. And the details are there. And please get signed up. Um, we're going to do a work activity where we're going to pour concrete, concrete floor in one of the churches that's now dirt floor. So we're going to give them a concrete floor. And um, also we're going to spend um, one day in the plaza um, witnessing, handing out a, what they call agape bags which are going to have a, a Spanish Bible in it and some other practical materials for people who may be living on the streets that we can minister to the people there in Juarez. And, and even if you don't speak Spanish, it's okay because we'll go out with all the School of Ministry guys who are in the program down there in Juarez. And we've done that before and it works really good because it opens a door for them to, to witness and minister in their own language, but we get to go and be a part of it and be, as, the, as they say, the hands and feet of God's people. So... Um, it's $100 is all, and that covers all your expenses, your transportation, your food, and your um, um, uh, room while you're down there. You do need a passport, and um, sign up if you can. Uh, what is it? I always get these two mixed up. Labor Day weekend, yes. So we'll leave Friday, and so we're asking the kids to take that day off of school. I'm sure all the kids are heartbroken over that. And then we'll come back Monday. Okay? All right. Uh, You want to turn me down just a little bit? Just a little bit. Check, check, check. Okay, that sounds good. Um, Okay, maybe up just a little bit more. Check, check, check. Okay. Uh, Genesis chapter 6. If you guys want to open up your Bible, that's where we're at this morning. We actually made it through verses 1 through 12 um, when we were here last together. Uh, We're going to start back in verse 9. Um, so if you keep your hand in Genesis chapter 9, of course that's in the, or Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, and if you also want to turn over to James chapter 2, uh, I'm going to start off this morning by reading to you from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. And in verse 14 it says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? 
Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In other words, what good is your faith? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish man, do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith and actions... His actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. When the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited or accounted to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, when we look back to chapter 6, and when we began chapter 6 a couple weeks ago, We were able to make it, as I said, through the first 12 verses. And in those verses, we were given three reasons for why God was going to destroy much of the world that he created with this global flood that we're now going to read about. That this was done in an act of judgment against mankind. And in those first verses, we were were given three reasons for why. And the first reason, if you remember, was because mankind had forsaken God. He had rejected God, but even more more than that, in forsaking God and in rejecting God, we know that God um, reached out or called out to mankind patiently for, for hundreds of years, not only through His Holy Spirit, as we're told, but also through, through the, the preaching or the prophecies of a man by the name of Enoch and also by a man of a name Noah who, who, who we're reading about. And, and they were calling mankind to turn away from their wickedness, from their wicked ways, which man refused to do so. In addition to this, we're also told about mankind's state of wickedness, which had degenerated to the place where all of man's thoughts were, it says, continually towards evil things. And this was due to the fact that mankind, mankind, by rejecting God, by forsaking God, that they had removed themselves so far away from the things of God that there was no good left in them. And when man is left to himself, when man is left to his own, that's what you get. Evil. Nothing good. It was a time like we read of back then in the book of Judges, a time like it was in the book of Judges when each man was doing right or doing what was right in his own eyes. The last reason for why this judgment was coming upon the earth in Noah's day was due to the fact that the entire earth, we're told, was corrupt. The entire earth was corrupt before God. And because there was no fear, along with this this completely giving over to corruption, we see that there was no fear of punishment, that the whole earth was filled with violence. Corruption and violence because there was no fear of God, no fear of retribution, no fear of discipline, no fear of punishment. In other words, in light of that, we also see that there were no just or righteous people upon the earth 
to example righteousness or to administer justice. None were told except for one man by the name of Noah, a just man who walked with God. And because Noah walked with God, we're told that he found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord, and God promised to save Noah through an act of faith, which was to build an ark in accordance to what God had commanded. And when we consider what kind of person Noah was, we see that he was a kind of person that we should and can be as we live in a world today that is much like the world that Noah was living in all of those years ago. And when we continue now on through the rest of this chapter, starting back in verse 9, we're told about Noah. We're told about Noah and we read not only about Noah as a person or as an individual, but we're told about the commands that God gave, specific commands to Noah and how Noah's obedience to God was fulfilled through the construction of the ark. And in verse 9 we read, as it says, if you want to follow along there, it says, and this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah, he was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their ways upon the earth. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and, it shall, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door and the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters upon the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish, verse 18, my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing of the earth you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their own kind, of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing on the earth after its kind." Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourselves, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah, verse 22, did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's um, hard not to see. You almost have to just close your eyes and be blinded. And we know so many people in the world are, but it's hard to not see the comparisons, Lord, between today and the age that we're living in and, and the way it was in Noah's day. And you even tell us, God, that just before you return, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. Father, we see so much violence and corruption. Men who are um, lovers of themselves and haters of you. 
So I pray, God, that we would be willing and able to discern times, that we would be willing and able to allow you to touch our hearts today, to look at the type of man that Noah was in the age and the day that he was living in, and how he was a light to a dark world, and how he lived obediently to you. And Father, that you would do that work in us through your Holy Spirit, that we would be these lights that shine into the darkness. Father, that we would be men and women who stand for truth and righteousness, that tell the world that the end is near and that their only hope, their only salvation is found in you. Father, thankful, we're thankful, God, that you've given us an ark, figuratively speaking, in your Son, Jesus Christ, that our hope rests in the work that he's done and that we too, as we've walked with you, have found favor, have found grace through our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, let us rest in that hope this morning. Let us rest in You. Father, let us trust in You as we see this world falling apart all around us. Knowing, God, that there is a day coming when You are going to rule and reign upon this earth in truth and in righteousness. And we, Father, will be there by Your sides, by Your side. Lord, we love You and we praise You. I pray, God, that You would use me this morning, that You would speak to us and teach us by Your Spirit. And Lord, we confess and believe that Your Word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you look back to verse 9 with me, the first thing that we're being told about here in regards to Noah is that he was a just man. And some translations might actually read righteous, a righteous man, a just man. And, and that Hebrew word, if you ever looked it up, and I did, it's the word tazik. And um, it's the first time that it's used in the Bible, this word Tazdik, translating to, to just or to righteousness. And, and when we look a little bit ahead to verse chapter 7, verse 1, we'll see that it's actually used for a second time, the same Hebrew word, and it's also used again to describe Noah. But Noah's righteousness is also mentioned for us in many other places in the Scriptures. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, and then again in verse 20. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. However, it's important for us to see that Noah's righteousness did not come from his good works. We might read this on the surface and go, well, yeah, of course, Noah is the only one really following after God at this time, and he was doing everything that God commanded him. And, and so it's because of what he did that made him righteous. But that's not the case. It's like this, his works came because of his righteousness. It wasn't that his works made him righteous. Just like we read here in James chapter 2 that I, I read at the beginning about Abraham, whose righteousness was God's gift in response to his personal faith. Likewise, our righteousness, as the Bible tells us that we become righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ, that's the result. Our faith in Jesus Christ brings a righteousness that's accounted to us because of who Jesus is and because of the work that he's done. And because Abraham and Noah believed God's word, we're told that it was accounted to them as righteousness because they believed God's word. It's that believing upon that brings a trusting in, a clinging to, and a relying upon. It's, it's a believing in that is played out in action. That is demonstrated by the way we live our lives, the words we speak, what we do and do not do. And when we look to be people who are like Noah, we must understand that the only righteousness that God will accept, the only righteousness that God does accept, is the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And this is what Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 is telling us when it says that God made him, Jesus, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. And the only way to receive this righteousness of God is, is by trusting in Him, by trusting in Jesus to save us from our sinful and unrighteous ways, from our unrighteousness. This is what Paul declared to the Galatians when he said to them in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, he says, speaking of himself, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law. In other words, by what he does, by the good things, or by the, the, even by keeping the commands of God. But he says, by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith, he said, Paul, being a Jew, in Christ Jesus. He said, so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because... By observing the law, no one will be justified. Now, in addition to being a righteous man, if you look there in verse 9, it also tells us that Noah was perfect or blameless in his generations, right? And if we see that righteousness, think about it like this. We have to keep the context. If, if, if we see that righteousness was being used to describe Noah's standing before God, in other words, this here, if we see that it was being used to describe Noah's standing before God, then this blamelessness is what is being used to describe his conduct before people. It's this. And this comes because of this. But blamelessness does not mean sinlessness. And we can all go, Whew. Blamelessness does not come because of sinlessness. It doesn't mean sinlessness. Sinlessness, And this is because passages of Scripture like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 22 makes it clear that, that no one but Jesus ever lived a sinless life on this earth. Only Jesus. And when we look to the Hebrew word tamim, which translates us to the word perfect here or blameless, we see that it means, it means this, simply means having integrity, whole or unblemished. Having integrity, whole or unblemished. In fact, that word tamim is also used in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, and then again in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3, and it's used in order to describe those sacrificial animals that were to be, as the Bible says, without spot and blemish, in order that they might be acceptable before God as that sacrifice. And the bottom line is Noah's conduct, the way that he lived his life, it was lived in a way that his neighbors around him couldn't see any fault in him. Paul writes and he speaks about being a blameless man. And, and, and he doesn't speak about being a perfect man, but a, a blameless man is one, this is where, where the freedom and in the, in the, we find comfort. A blameless man isn't one who always does everything right. A blameless man is one who when, they do, when he does something wrong, he goes and makes it right. There's confession and repentance and an asking of forgiveness. Who can hold that man accountable? That man's blameless. And when we consider that we need to be like Noah 
in these days that we're living in, we should, we should consider the words written to us in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 through 16, listen, it says this. It says, therefore, my, my, my dear friends, if you have, as you have always obeyed, not only in my present, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He goes on to say, do everything. Here's like a knife in my heart. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that you might become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Again, Paul takes that blamelessness and he connects it to the, to the perversion in the generation that we're living in. He says, he says, it's necessary, it's important because we are to be these lights that shine out. And he's basically saying, who's going to receive what you have to say if you're not blameless? They're going to take the perfect message of the, of the good news of Jesus Christ and they're, just, and they're going to discount it or dismiss it because they look at our lives and go... But to be like Noah in the day that we're living in gives us an authority. It gives us a, 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 a validates the message, so to speak. Not that it doesn't be, not that it doesn't hold validity on its own. But there's something to to be said when a person looks at our lives and go, "You're different than everybody else. Why?" It's because I have my faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for my sins, who rose on the grave three days later, showing himself to be alive, and has reserved a place in heaven for me. And I am now, because of my relationship with him, justified, righteous, pure and holy, and forgiven before God, and I will live forever with him. And so my faith, my hope, my trust is not in this world, in him. And not only that, he's the one that's doing the good work in me. That's what the word says. And that's what we tell people. It's not about being perfect, but it is about how we live. The point is, any person who is right before God through faith in Jesus Christ must seek to live a life that is right before people. I'll say that again. Any person who is right before God, and that comes again through faith in Jesus Christ, right? So that's us. We're right before God because of faith in Jesus Christ. So any person who is right before God through faith in Jesus Christ must seek to live their lives in a way that is right before others. Remember James chapter 2, verse 14. What I already read, it says this. Remember, it tells us faith without works is dead. Not because of this, but because of this. Remember, James, as he relates that, he says, what good is it to you if you say you have faith, but you're not doing it. You see your brother in need who needs to be clothed and needs to be fed, and you're saying, ha, hope that works out for you. Be warm, be filled, be on your way. And so when James speaks about faith in relationship to, to works and, 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 and shining his light, it's this way. And we're called to that. And the Apostle Paul, I love it in the book of Titus, he warned about this very thing, and he says this. He says, unruly in 1 Titus chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Unruly and vain talkers and deceivers who profess that they know God, but in their works they deny Him. Is that us? Do we profess to know God, but by the way we live, is it a denial? 
Is it not a testimony? Is it not evidence to what we profess? It must be. It has to be, especially in the days that we're living in. Now, clearly, Noah was not the kind of person that Paul writes about in Titus. He was a man who walked with God, we're told, which means that he obeyed God's commands, that he kept God's ways. And this life of faith and obedience that Noah exampled and that we're called to live, I love it that it's compared to a walk. It's compared to a walk because this Christian life that we all have entered into began with one step, did it not? One step. Trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And it's this step of faith that leads us today to walk daily, one step at a time, as the Lord directs us, and He makes His will known to us. You're my Savior, you're my Lord. We wake up and go, okay, which way do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And we keep taking those steps day after day. And so, yeah, we, we don't always take the right step. Sometimes we take a step that's in our way and according to the things that we think, and we fall right off the cliff. But God's gracious, and He's merciful, and He's kind, and He's long-suffering, and He's enduring with us, and He picks us up, and He brushes us off, and He says, I love you. Keep on going. And it's these steps of faith that lead us to, da- to a daily walk, one step at a time as the Lord directs us and He makes His will known to us. And we know that, that our God commands us as we begin to look at this walk that we're called to. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, we're called to what? To walk in love. There's a step. To walk in love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it goes on to say that we're to walk as children of light. By the way, you know what, there's this, there's this weird thought within Christendom at times that we as Christians need to kind of be separated from the world. And we do, we need to be sanctified and we need to, to, to have a separation as we live differently. But guys, where does the light shine? Into the darkness. And so we need to be willing to go to the darkness and shine as lights. That's part of the walk, to be children of light, to walk as children of light. Again, in Ephesians Chapter 5, in verse 16, verse 16, it also says to walk in the Spirit, to walk in love, to walk as children of light, and to walk in the Spirit. And then in verse 15, it says to walk circumspectly, to walk carefully. And as we walk one step at a time, one day at a time, with the Lord, walking with the Lord, like Noah walked with the Lord. You know what happens? The same thing that happened for Noah. God guides us. He guides us into His will, and, 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 and in doing so, He blesses us. He guides us into His will. He blesses us with His wisdom and His strength. And this is what God did for Noah as he obediently faced this task of building the ark. And in verse 13, it says, And it came to pass in the 600 year, or excuse me, and it, in verse 13, it says, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He said, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then in verse 15, God gives these, these dimensions and he goes in and he gets real specific. I love it. It's like he says, no, you say, Noah, build a window. He says, build a window and put it here. 
Build a door and put it here. And it's my opinion, just my opinion, you guys know how I feel about that, but nevertheless, it's my opinion that Noah was, as he was hearing from God, and, and I kind of maybe impose upon Noah a little bit how I am. And um, you, you'll get my point as I go on. Noah, as I believe that as Noah was hearing from God, as God was telling him in verse 14 to make himself an ark, that Noah must have been pondering. You know, we hear from God, and we think that, well, God said, go do this thing. And, and so we begin, what do you do? In my mind, and maybe sometimes we write it down, we're like, okay, yeah. And you begin to ponder. You begin to think about what God is commanding you to do. And Noah, I think that's probably what was going on. He was pondering what God was commanding him to do. But I think Noah was underestimating. I don't think he fully grasped or understood the enormity of the task that God was calling him to. And man, how often is that? We think that God's called us to do this awesome, wonderful thing, and we just have only a sliver of an idea or a fraction of an idea of the enormity of what God's going to do. It's an awesome thing. And Noah, you know, he may have even been thinking, okay, God, I got it. Seems easy enough. But as is with God, as we discussed in detail a few weeks ago, you know, remember, our God's a big God. And he does things not only with us, but things through us and for us that are exceedingly and abundantly more than we can imagine or hope for. Imagine or remember, God tells us through the prophet Isaiah about himself in verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55. He says, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. In other words, God says, you think like this, but I think like this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And he says, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so God here in verse 15 of our, our text, he gets real specific with Noah and he goes on to tell Noah in detail exactly what he wanted. It's almost to me like, yeah, no, I want you to build an ark. And Noah's like, okay, yeah. And then God goes, no, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And, and, and usually that's how God kind of speaks to me. I'm like, I got it. I get it. This is what you want me to do. And then it says, I, I usually I'm running and God's, you know, <laughs> trying to slow me down because he's got this so much more for me or so much more he wants to do through me. I only get a, a little bit of the idea of the enormity of what God wants. I think we're even seeing that with the, with the, the youth ministry downtown that we're, we're doing with the um, outreach facility that we're in. I think I think God's ways are so much greater than ours and his thoughts so much greater than ours is that we can only, well, and partially is we can only, if God gave us the whole picture, we'd probably just implode. But, or be so afraid that we wouldn't step out and do it. But God tells Noah here. He tells him, and, 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 and in doing so, we read that God said to Noah, you know what, first of all, I'm going to destroy the earth, but don't worry, I'm going to save you and your family. So build an ark. He says, Make it out of this kind of wood, Noah. Go for wood. Make it exactly this long, exactly this wide, exactly this tall. Make rooms in it. Give it multiple levels. Give it a window at a top. Give it a door. And then I want you to cover it inside and outside with pitch. And even though we read in verse 22, if you look to the end of the chapter, that Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, there's not a detailed account for us telling us about the work Noah did to complete the task. I would, I would really like to know, okay, so like in the first month, Noah did this, and, and then he did that, and where did he get the wood? I mean, that's just how my, how did he do it? And however, even though we don't know all these details, we do know this, guys, 
This blows my mind. We do know from when we read in chapter 6 and we read in chapter 7, if you do the math and figure some things out, that it took Noah 120 years. 120 years. And Noah was 300 when he start, started, or was, was 500, I think 500 when he started, a little around 500 years old when he started, maybe a little before. Um, but it was, a, it was a significant time of his life, a significant portion of his life. And for 120 years, Noah did all that God commanded him. In light of this, we see another characteristic of Noah that tells us what kind of person he was. And it was the fact that Noah was a faithful man who worked for God. A faithful man who worked for God. 120 years. Now, when we consider biblical faithfulness, one of the things that should pop into your mind are thoughts of stewardship, right? Biblical faithfulness should bring forth thoughts of stewardship. It should be that mindset, that mentality that we carry when we think about faithfulness or faithfulness to God. It should come into our minds. Furthermore, we should see that faithfulness is really this. It's steadfastness, consistency, or allegiance. It's carefulness in keeping what we have been entrusted with. It's the conviction that the Scriptures accurately reflect reality, faithfulness. The conviction, the belief that the Scriptures accurately reflect reality. And and biblical faithfulness requires us to believe in what the Bible says about God, to believe it to be true. Not only about, about God, but His existence, His works, and His character. And ultimately, faithfulness, the Bible tells us, is a fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, it is the result of the Holy Spirit working in us. I don't have to muster up faithfulness. I don't have to wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to be faithful. We get on our knees, and we go before God, and we go, fill me with your Holy Spirit, strengthen me, to walk in your ways, to be faithful to you. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of God. And when we consider the faithfulness of Noah in the contrast to the evil age that he was living in, and we take that and compare it to the times that we're living in now, the word that catches the essence of man's character then and now, in contrast to Noah, has to be not faithfulness, but faithlessness. Faithlessness. In other words, men today, as they were in the days of Noah, are generally faithless to any kind of standard that can be considered as truly godly. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he described that character or that heart or that spirit of the people in how they would be like in the last days. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he writes and he says in verses 1 through 5, he says, But know this, he says, in the last days, perilous times will come. And then he goes on to tell us why. And man, yeah, this is it. You look at the world as a whole and everything that's going on around us, not only in our own country, but worldwide, globally speaking, this is it. He says, in the last day, perilous times will come for or because men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people, Paul says, turn away. Now, I don't know about you, but the truth of this one passage in the time of that we're living in should make you at least, it should, it should set such a foundation in your heart and go, yeah, man, the Bible is right on every time. Every time. And in this passage, I broke it down. What we see is there's 19, 19 characteristics that Paul lists with really the lovers of themselves and the lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They really serve as bookends here as Paul begins this list and ends this list um, and, and containing all the others inside of it. We have these two bookends. And in light of this, we see that a person, guys, this is what we need to see is that a person, because we need to look at this and examine our own lives our own hearts, and what we're like, maybe in in relationship to that list. But in light of this, we see that a person cannot be faithful to God when they are lovers of themselves more than they are lovers of God. Furthermore, we see that a person cannot be faithful to God when their own gratification means more to them than pleasing God. And a person cannot be faithful to God if they are headstrong, haughty, slanderer, a traitor who is disobedient to their parents, greedy, unloving, and without self-control. The point is, guys, faithfulness hinges upon what we value. Do you get that? Faithfulness hinges upon what we value. It's what we value as important, and it's combined with our commitment to it. Faithfulness hinges upon what we value as important, combined with our commitment to it. And the truth is, we as human beings, we have a a real powerful tendency to be faithful to what we think is important. Be it a family name. I always tell my, my, my boys, my, you know, especially when we're out working or I, I, I'm trying to be macho or something, I'm like, what are you? Are you a maher or what? You know? And I even do that with my girls too. But, you know, we're, we're, we can be faithful to a family name. How about to a spouse, a friendship, an employer, a school, or even an athletic team, not to mention the Seahawks. But how much more, guys, should we value and be faithful to God Almighty who gives us and sustains our lives and from whom the Bible tells us every good thing comes? Remember, faithfulness hinges upon what we value as important combined with our commitment to, do, to it. Now, If you look to 15, verse 15, these specific measurements in verse 15, it would have produced a a, a very um, barge-like vessel. Not necessarily a a sailing ship. It wasn't designed to sail. It was designed to float. And it measures these cubits. If you do the conversion, it's about 510 feet long, one and a half football fields, 85 feet wide, and 50 feet tall. And when we consider these these dimensions, because the Bible gets very specific here, when we're given these dimensions, it should be tested. It should be. 
And so there's a question that arises as a result of these dimensions, of the size of this thing, is the question should be asked is, if the, if, if, if the ark would have been big enough to accommodate all the animals and all the food that they would need, be needed for Noah and his family and all the animals to survive for the total of the 150 days that were told about that they were on this vessel, that they were on board this ship. And in light of this, I did a little research and I found out that if you take the dimensions of the ark and you do the math, it would have been the equivalent of 152 million cubic feet. Which is kind of hard to grasp, but if you, remember, if you guys know what a railroad car looks like, that's the equivalent of 522 railroad cars. The cubic feet in one railroad car times 522 of them is 1.52 million cubic feet. That's the cubic feet within, the, within the, the size of the ark. Not only that, we're told that when we consider the ark, not just the cubic fleet pl plays in, into the, the, the equation because we're told that it had three other interior decks. And we can calculate because of that that it had around 97,000 square feet available then to store and stack things. And with this mind, in mind, I want to point out that the total amount of air-breathing and land animal species, kinds, as the Bible uses the word here, on the earth today is about 33,000. You can go and do the research. This is land-breathing animals, species, or kinds. And, and, and you know what? There are only a few thousand more that scientists have come to find in the fossil record because someone might go to you and go, well, yeah, what about all the extinct animals? Well, even taking all the animals that are in the fossil record that have gone extinct and you add it to that 33,000, um, what we can come up with is that... Um, there would have been more than enough space available. And, and someone smarter than me has come to figure out that I'm stealing someone else's information, but that the average size of all these different species, these nearly 35,500 different species alive and in the, in the um, uh, fossil record would be the equivalent of about a full-grown uh, full sheep. So you take the very smallest and the very biggest and you figure that all out. And on average your average animal space would be about the size of a full-grown sheep. So I took that. And apparently, um, 290 sheep can fit comfortably into a livestock rail car. That's what they transport them in. 290. Which means that 35,000 sheep will easily fit into 120 rail cars. That's, that's the amount. 35,000 different species alive and extinct that Noah had to deal with in his day. And, and, and that, that means that if you take the 122 rail cars or 120 rail cars minus the 522 rail cars that you could fit in the ark, there's plenty left. So no, the, approximately 280 railroad cars of space left within the ark, apart from all the animals that were there. And, and so you go, yeah, there were multiple pairs, still more than enough space. With all the multiple pairs, with all the food, the ark was large enough to handle what God had set it forth to do. And um, I point all this out to illustrate this, that the Bible can be trusted. That the Bible can be trusted in testable matters, like this historical count of Noah and the ark. Sadly, there are many Christians today who believe that the Bible can be trusted in only, in regards to, to, only in matters of faith 
or in matters of moral and not in regards to scientific things like what we're reading about here. But if the Bible, guys, is wrong in testable matters such as history and geography and science, then I ask you this question, why should it be trusted in matters of faith and moral? If we read that God saved all the animals of the earth and Noah through this ark and this ark wasn't capable of doing it, you should go, I don't believe it. But it is. And it's, again, it's a testimony to us that our faith is a reasonable faith, that the Word of God is completely true and accurate, and we can build our lives upon what it says. In verse 18, we read on, if you look there with me, and it says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh shall bring two of every sort into the ark, and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds of the air, of their kind, of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of, of, of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you, and you will keep them alive. And you shall take for yourselves of all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourselves, and shall be food for you and for them. And thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so Noah did. We're going to wrap it up with this, because in these last verses of this chapter, it's really cool. It's the first mention of a covenant. You know, I, I shared to you as we began to study through the book of Genesis, we continue to go through it. It's a book of beginnings. It accounts the beginnings of all things. And this is the first time we see that God, the Almighty, God who's been, has existed, he's, he's eternal, that he makes a covenant with mankind. With us. And, and, and this first covenant mentioned a covenant being made between God and man is here. And in this, we're told that God made an agreement with Noah, a covenant with Noah, telling him that if he obeyed, listen, he's telling Noah that if you obey my commands, then I'll save you and your family from this judgment that was to come. And in verse 22, we are told clearly that Noah obeyed God's commands and he did all that God commanded him to do. And the Apostle Paul, guys, listen, the Apostle Paul wrote about this and he said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, he said, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with a godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he commanded or con condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now before I go on, I want to first point out that back in verse 8, I don't want to discount this, this is key. Back in verse 8, it tells us that Noah is a man who found grace in the eyes of God. But it's also important to point out that here in Hebrews, the Apostle Paul tells us that Noah feared God, and being moved with a godly fear, he heeded God's warnings and did the things that God commanded him to do. Guys, the point is, Scripture tells us that we love God because he first loved us, right? We love him because he first loved us. And that we obey him, our obedience is an outflow of our love for him, right? We get that. That's true. Biblically, that's true. And for the most part, we're really okay with love being preached as a motive for obeying God. We bang that drum. 
Obey God because you, He loves you and you love Him. And that's the outflow of your love. And, and Scripture as well, but as we read here, Scripture as well as our own logic speaks to the fact that God is worthy to be feared. Guys, God is worthy to be feared. He's worthy to be loved, but He's worthy to be feared as well. Worthy to be respected, worthy to be revered, because there's this understanding, there's this knowledge that when there is disobedience to God's commands, there is for the child of God discipline and judgment and wrath for everyone else. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31 tells us. It says, For if we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed as a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And when we consider the covenant, guys, when we consider this in light of the covenant that God had made with Noah and his family, I should point out to us again that we know that God has made other covenants with mankind since then. The worship team wants to come up. We're going to end with this. There was the one that was made with Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. There was one made with Moses, the, the Mosaic Covenant. And lastly, we know that there's an additional covenant, perhaps the greatest covenant, that comes through God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's called the New Covenant, one established in His blood. But no matter which one of these covenants we look at, whether it's the one made with Noah, the one made with Abraham, the one made with Moses, or the one made with us that we're a part of through His Son, Jesus Christ, no matter which one that you look at, guys, they're all in faith. They've been established by God's grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 speaks of this saying, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And it's a reminder for us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we look at this, what we're being told is that God's grace, God's unmerited, unearned favor, God's working for us is a gift. It's a gift. And when we consider Jesus Christ, we consider that God's unmerited, God's earned, earned favor, God's grace, God's gift came to mankind and man responded by faith, by believing God's promises and doing what God asked them to do in light of the promises. In Noah's case, it's in verse 8 that we're told that Noah had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it was by faith that he, believing in God's promises, were told that Noah responded by building the ark and doing all that God had commanded him to do, he was then saved from the judgment that was to come. Likewise for us in this new covenant that you and I have entered into, that has been established, is, is, is demonstrating to us God's grace 
is a demonstration of His grace. As we look and see how God had sent His Son Jesus to die for us while the Bible says we were still in the midst of our sins. And by faith we believe that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross as a payment for our sins. And this is why we can look to what we're told in Romans chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, and have the hope that we have. Because in this passage, it simply tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified and it is with the mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him shall never be put to shame. And Noah trusted in God. He became a partaker of the blessings, partaker of the salvation that God had set forth for him to receive. And he was not put to shame. Father, thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. Thank you for this hope that we have in you. Thank you, God, that you've done the work, that you've shown us grace, that you've, that you've purchased for us what we could not purchase on our own, that you paid the debt. God, help us to live in faith, to walk in faith. God, we pray, each one of us, hopefully this morning, that you would continue to fill us with your Spirit so that we would be men and women, your sons, your daughters, who live faithfully to you in a time when there's such faithlessness. God, help us to see Noah's example and to follow that example in the days that we're living in that are leading up to your expected and imminent return. Father, we love you. And we praise you and we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys stand and we'll sing.